When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us for How She Does It, where we talk about all things women, money, and power. I'm Karen Feinerman. What were you doing before pressing the play button on this show? I'm betting at least some of you took a yoga class. The yoga industry in the United States is huge and growing. It's on track to top $215 billion by 2025, according to Allied Market Research. The industry is everywhere you look. There are studios, mats, props, accessories, clothing, and yoga retreats. Today, there are more than 41,000 yoga studios in the United States, and the largest studio brand in the country is Core Power Yoga, which boasts more than 200 studios. I'm thrilled to be joined by the woman who has successfully led Core Power to new heights during a time when many yoga studios struggled. Nikki Leandakis has been CEO of Core Power since January of 2020. Hell of a time to start a new job. And she has more than 30 years of experience building lifestyle brands. She was previously the CEO of Equinox Fitness Clubs and COO of Kimpton Hotels, to name a few of her accomplishments. She's been named one of the 100 most influential women by the San Francisco Business Times annually since 2002. And, of course, she is an avid yoga practitioner. Nikki, welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. So I think most of our listeners will know, possibly love, the Core Power brand, but they might not know you. Can you start by telling us about your background and what was the path that led you to become CEO of Core Power? Yeah, well, an interesting path. I spent my entire career up until 2016 in hospitality. So before Core Power Yoga, I was CEO of a hotel company called Commune Hotels and Resorts, and then Two Roads Hospitality. I was in the C-suite at Kimpton Hotels as president. I was there for 20 years. And in 2016, I had the opportunity to become CEO of Equinox, and that was kind of a left turn in my career but it really tapped into a personal passion for fitness and wellness. But fast forward, a lot of different personal life transitions happened over the next few years. And I started really thinking about what I wanted to do that would marry my passion for wellness with my deeper need to really work from a place of higher purpose. And while I always found higher purpose in my work. I was looking for a more direct connection to that higher purpose. And I actually said out loud at one point, I think I'd really like to be CEO of Core Power Yoga. And (laughs) I said it. I was practicing at Core Power Yoga. It was one of the places I went for my regular yoga practice. I'd been a yoga practitioner for really about 30 years now. And I used to dream about how if I was CEO of this company. It'd be so much fun. I would do this and that. And this is such a great platform already. But lo and behold, I got that call and uh, here I am. (laughs) Actually, 
A funny fact is that my life circumstances, the, when I got the call, I went through the interview process and began working through the details of accepting an offer and was unable to accept the offer at that time due to my personal life circumstances. And so I had to turn it down and walk away. And it boomeranged back to me a second time. <laughs> and at that point, I said, okay, the universe is speaking to me. I am supposed to be here. And I knew I was. I immediately said yes. And it's been an incredible three and a half years and truly feels like a higher calling. Let me ask you, I know some of the story of what you were going through personally during those years. Can you tell us about that? I think we all, if we haven't, will have difficult times in our life. I'm, I'm not unique. Life is full of challenges and loss and for all of us in some way, shape or form. I don't think very many of us escape that. And uh, I'm no different. But in a very short period of time, I found myself without my home, without my husband and without my career. My home burned in the 2017 wildfires in Northern California to the ground. It was our dream home. It was where we really spent our life together because we were traveling all the time for work. We came together on the weekends and entertained and were a couple in the home. And when I lost it, it wasn't just losing housing or a home. It was the loss of us and where we manifested our relationship. And a year later, my husband died from a sudden heart attack and I'd left my job. So all three of those things that really were really what made up my identity in a way were gone. And I I found myself wondering, who am I and where do I belong in the world? I lost my footing. It was, it was a pretty rough 18 months. I can't imagine. So you've kind of there stripped down everything that was creating you as you knew it, your relationship and your job and literally where you lived, your home. Were you just kind of like, are you joking, God? I mean, is this this is just, what do I do now? What was like the first step forward? The first step forward truly was getting on my yoga mat every day. I didn't know what else to do. I was at such a loss. And I found myself just wondering, what did I do wrong? Like, I must have done something really bad to deserve this. And I went into deep reflection, like, where did I misstep? Because I'm being punished. I really believed that somehow I was being sent some message. And I went searching for answers. What is that message? What do I need to do differently? Like nobody experiences this in 18 months, this much loss without reason. I was stuck in that mindset. I traveled. I went to India. I did a lot of soul searching. I went to a place that I'd been many times before. And I just thought through my love for yoga and not just the physical practice of yoga, the philosophy and ideology around yoga. And I, and I thought maybe if I go deeper, I'll find some answers. And I met with swamis and <laughs> people who I thought, philosophers, who I thought might be able to tell me why this happened to me and what do I do now? Like, what am I supposed to do? It's funny. I came home from India and I found the answers within myself. And life is hard and we all suffer loss and go through grief and have hardship. I'm not unique. And we have to work our way through that grief. There's no going around it. There's no end running it. You have to be in it. You have to work through it and you have to move forward. So getting on my yoga mat every day and being present and 
I kind of stopped searching for the why and just moved into acceptance of these kinds of things happen to all people everywhere. And how we deal with these types of things is what defines us. And getting on my mat really helped me stay in the present and shift my focus to not what I lost, but what I actually have left. And it was a great deal. I had my health, I had my family, I had my friends, my community, and my practice. And I had a lot of great experience that I could put to use doing something important in the world. So did it seem then like, I mean, this core power yoga opportunity falling into your lap, did that start to make you think, all right, okay, I have my answer of what I want to do and can do and how I'm going to rebuild. I truly believed that, especially when it came back around a second time. The first time I was, wow, how did my dream job come to me two <laughs> months after I said it out loud to my sister? How did that right. come and to me? And what else can I wish for? Exactly. If I say things out loud, it makes them happen. That it came back the second time around it wasn't coincidence in my mind. It was absolutely, I, I am supposed to do this. And there's a reason for this. If nothing more than it means something to me, I will put my heart and soul and everything I have learned and know from all my years in business world and leading people and inspiring people around a, a purpose. I am here to make a difference. And yoga makes a difference in people's lives. Yoga transforms people's lives. And I am fortunate enough to have landed on this incredibly large platform, the largest yoga company in the world, to be able to do that. So you have, it's sort of two goals. You have this yoga platform and you see how helpful it's been, how important it's been for you in your life. And then you also have this identity as a businesswoman, and you have this incredible platform as a business, forgetting about the underlying part of the business. So you have those two things. Is there any tension between them, between what you want to do as a person who is in this world and wants to deliver this kind of experience for people, and what you do as a business person? Or do they dovetail completely? I think for some people, there's tension, the business world and doing something good. There's tension for some people. For me, no. And that's because I believe that it's the business that enabled us to have over 220 yoga studios all over the United States. It's the business of yoga that enables us to make yoga more accessible to more people in the world. I've done a lot of work in the nonprofit space. And that's a challenge. I mean, I really thought long and hard when I was at that crossroads in my life, do I want to go into nonprofit? And I didn't want to because you are so dependent on funding. Whereas in the business world, we're self-funding. We make a profit and we can take some of that profit and put it to good, which engages and attracts more people because you're doing good. And if you're profitable and your shareholders are happy, they continue to support you growing. And it's so this virtuous cycle that enables good things to happen in the world. So I'm not spending all my time dialing for dollars 
as I was when I was in the nonprofit space. I can spend my time on helping people improve their lives and not just the people who come to learn about yoga or practice yoga with us. We also employ thousands of people and the majority of our students and our employees are women. I'm working to change that, to bring more gender balance into the yoga industry and more diversity as a whole into the yoga industry. We're working very hard on that as a company. But the majority of practitioners and people who work inside teachers are women. And I also have the opportunity to give these women skills managerial skills, leadership skills, business management skills, so they can be self-sufficient. Whether they stay with us and maintain a career with us for their whole lives, I hope they do, but probably all of them will not. I hope that they leave us better able to manage their livelihood, take care of their families, take care of themselves, be financially independent. Right. That's incredibly powerful, being financially independent. All right, so you have this dream job, you have this platform from both a business perspective and, and a life perspective of what you want to do, and the pandemic comes along. But that was much more broad than you, obviously, but nevertheless, you're in the middle of a business that is not the right place to be. This is not Zoom or Peloton. This is very different. How did you manage through this? Yeah, uh, well, I will tell you, just a couple months into starting as CEO of Core Power Yoga, having to shut down all of our yoga studios on March 16th, 2020, was one of the hardest things I've ever done because shutting down those studios entailed taking away people's livelihood. We had no choice. We kept as many people as we could, but there was no business. We all thought it was going to be a couple of weeks, but it went on and on. So when we realized it was more than a couple of weeks, we quickly pivoted and created a digital business. And when I arrived at Core Power Yoga, it was almost 20 years old, an incredible platform. So much had been done to create a strong and viable and powerful, purposeful company. But there wasn't a whole lot of investment or advanced technology. There wasn't really a digital platform. There was a library of over 300 yoga videos that were on the shelf waiting for a strategy. So had that in the arsenal, that was pretty helpful. So we quickly pivoted and started offering our student base free yoga, YouTube, like a lot of people, YouTube just to serve. People were stressed, didn't know what was happening, anxious, practice yoga, this will help. So we did that. We quickly put together duct tape and wire and band-aids, a live streaming platform on Zoom. We shipped equipment to our teachers' homes, taught them how to use the equipment. So we had yoga instructors in their kitchens, in their bedrooms, in their living room, conducting live streaming classes for our community. And we very quickly, by April, we cobbled together an at-home membership that was comprised of the live streaming classes, which multiple classes a day, so that people could engage with a teacher and the community in real time, live and practice, and also the on-demand videos that were available. We put that all together. This at-home membership offered that to students and really leaned into 
building this omni-channel platform that hadn't existed prior to COVID. So that was sort of a silver lining for us. It forced our hand and we moved quickly into becoming an omni-channel brand. So it's interesting. You can do the class anytime, either on demand or live. But did you find that people were really gravitating toward the live because they missed that sense of community? Yeah. I mean, some people did the on demand because it worked with their schedules. They could do the videos at odd times based on their schedule. But our membership base missed the community. They missed being together. They missed that connection and that connection to their teacher. So the live streaming, and we taught the teachers to open up the chats, to begin the videos with a chat, using people's names and recognizing them, and how to look in the screen and still give verbal adjustments, and after the end of class, open up the community again for that connection. So it was actually fun. I mean, I did it a lot myself. The live streaming was quite fun. It did not replace. It's not as good as the in-studio practice. It just isn't. Being in a room, moving together in unison, synchronistically, through a heated room with the breath work together, going through, there's nothing like that transformation that happens at the end of a 60-minute class with other humans sweating and breathing and getting into this mindful, peaceful state, the human connection that happens physically when you're together can't be replaced at home. I would imagine that's the case, but you did create this thing that is valuable. And so then then you had once the, I don't know exactly, I guess it depended on the area that people were living in, how open or not things were after, I don't know, mid-21 maybe, but you kept that part of the business as well the online, but people really want to gravitate towards being back in the studio or are they now used to having the flexibility of whatever works for them? Most people came back to the studio. Our student loves what I just described. They love that glow they feel at the end of the class. They love that that human connection, that energy that is palpable when you're moving and breathing together. The encouragement you get the hearing of other humans' breath, the breath work that happens, the breath-to-movement experience in unison. People missed that, and they came back to the studio. We kept the online business because some people live in a place that they don't have access to a core power yoga, so they still have that at-home membership, and they, they love the practice. And then other people use it as an adjunct to their in-studio practice, you know, squeezing in a 30-minute video here or there. The thing with yoga is it's the consistency of your practice that makes a difference physically, mentally, spiritually. It's not banging it out a couple of times a week. It's better to do a little bit every single day. That consistency is where you really see the transformation. Do you ever go to a class and just see what it's like? And maybe the people know who you are, maybe they don't. Yes. I go to classes every single week. Every week I'm in classes multiple times a week. I don't go undercover, but I don't announce myself either. You do make a reservation. So my name is there. But the teachers really, they focus on the first name of their students. So I would say there's the occasional situation where someone doesn't put it together. It just happened a couple of weeks ago. I was in one of our studios. I check and I just say, hi, I'm Nikki. 
so they can check me off because I reserved the class. Hi, I'm Nikki. How are you today? And nice to see you or whatever. Just a general greeting. And they'll do their, great to see you. You know, we're in studio one, grab two blocks and a strap or whatever. And I'll often at that point go, oh, you're Nikki. You're the Nikki. Or they'll say something like, all of a sudden it dawns on them. And they go like this, thanks for coming to my class. Oh my gosh, it's so nice that you came. Or this time, a couple of weeks ago, it happened that she chased me up the stairs because she, she checked me and smiled, told me what to do. And I went on my merry way and I'm going into the studio. And she goes, you're the Nikki, the one that sends all those emails. I send a, an end of week note every other week to all of our employees. And it's just hopefully inspirational reading, it's musing, it's interviewing teachers, it's amplifying the voices of underrepresented people. But I write to our employees so regularly, they see my name in their inbox. And so that's usually the connection. You're the one who writes, you know. And now we're going to take a quick break. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So earlier on in your career, you were in the hospitality industry and you worked for a lot of men. And then ultimately you became the CEO of these companies several times. And now you're the CEO, you're a woman in probably a very woman-centric, you said, environment. But tell us some of the things that you learned then when it would happen that they wouldn't listen to your idea or for whatever reason, they didn't either accept or assume you were in charge. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> that happened. It happened a lot. I've never been the person to lead with my title. I am just Nikki. I'm a person and I don't identify as the CEO. I identify as Nikki. I'm just a human and I'm doing my job and I'm here to do my job. And my way of leading has never been from an authoritarian place. It's from a place of we're all in this together. Let's get to the best answer. And we all have jobs to do and we all have access to different information. So let's share information and get to the best answer. And it's more of a circular approach. And I like being in the center of the circle, not at the top of the pyramid. So my approach has never been large and in charge style. So yes, people often assume. And when <clears throat> when I was younger, I can remember many times sitting in the boardroom and whether it was pitching to a group of men, it was either raising capital or it was pitching our management company to manage assets for real estate owners. People assuming I was there to take coffee orders or that I was there to take notes or I was 
a junior analyst or something sitting in the room. And did they find you presumptuous if you would speak up and say something like this is what we're going to do? I don't know how they thought of me, but I could tell they didn't have any clue who I was because they wouldn't make eye contact. And it was the most uncomfortable feeling for me. I could tell I was somewhat invisible when they wouldn't make eye contact with me. I wasn't important. It was assumed I wasn't important enough to even look at me in the eye. And it really bummed me out, I have to say. Like, it's like, wow, do I really have to lead with my title to get their attention? That's just so wrong. It was so frustrating. So I just started at the beginning of those meetings. I'd walk around the table. You know, I'd arrive a few minutes early as they were arriving and sitting down. I'd walk around the table and put my business card down in front of each person. So I didn't have to say anything. I just put my business card down. And it was a completely different experience. All of a sudden, I people looked me in the eye. When I spoke, they listened. Um, it just changed things, which was unfortunate, but at least I felt better. <laughs> right. You have to do something to make change. And it's unfortunate you have to do anything, but better than doing nothing. Right. What is the biggest mistake you've seen CEOs make? It could be you or it doesn't have to be you that hurts customer loyalty? Because I know that's been a sort of central focus of your entire career is building customer loyalty and making the customer feel important or taken care of or whatever the answer is. So what is the biggest mistake CEOs make in that vein? And I'm guessing the answer doesn't relate to what the problem was. It relates to how they dealt with the problem. I think the first thing I have seen the biggest mistake CEOs make, especially a newly appointed CEO, newly appointed anyone in a role that's in leadership, a lot of times we put pressure on ourselves to make an impact quickly. And we put pressure on ourselves to make a difference and improve things. So with customer loyalty, too much change too fast. Don't fix something that's not broken or not without listening to your customer first. I think the biggest mistake CEOs make is not listening and affecting change that affects the customer experience or the product too quickly without really truly understanding the impact on the customer or bringing the customer along with you. And so we've seen this many, many times where products get launched and fail or advertising campaigns happen that really irk the customers or just change. We've changed a way you do something that doesn't bring the customer along. So we made that mistake and I'll, I'll take responsibility because everything that happens at the company I lead at any company we as CEOs lead is our responsibility. And we invested a lot into all of our digital technology, as I mentioned, over the last few years. And we upgraded the app, the Core Power Yoga app, and we truly did improve it. We added in a whole lot of new features, but people were used to the old app. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's what they wanted. And I think over time they appreciated the changes, but too many changes too fast without bringing them along with you. And we learned that. Bring them with you slowly introduce the change or run things parallel or explain the change a lot before it happens. So let me ask you then, in your business, you have boomers, you have millennials, you have Gen Z. How do you, they maybe, do they want different things or do you look at them as they're, they're all motivated by wanting what yoga gives them and that it's not something different for different 
sort of demographic buckets? I think there are differences. There are generational differences based on our experiences, right? Because of what world events, technology, it shapes us. But I think there are some things that are overemphasized as generational when they're not really. So as an example, years ago, there was a lot of noise in the business world about millennials, right? Everybody was getting ready for millennials and millennials were changing everything and had different, you know, now it's Gen X and Gen Z. But I remember that being a big, it was bigger than Gen X. And the generational differences we had to be prepared for as business leaders with millennials. And I remember thinking as I studied it and read it and went to conferences and read all the reports and information about the psychographic and demographic differences for our companies and products, I thought the demand for social responsibility, the demand for sustainability, environmentalism, the demand for values-based companies, the demand for just humanity behind the companies. Yes, millennials demanded that from us as corporate leaders, but society did because I expected those very same things. And I'm a boomer. (laughs) I was paying attention to the environment. Those things were values that were important to me as I became more and more aware of what we were doing to our planet or as corporate citizens, don't we have a responsibility to the communities where we do business? I think there were societal shifts, attitude changes that were widespread, and that happens a lot, that get attributed to a generation. And sometimes it's just our attitude as a society as we collectively become aware. Uh huh. That's a very subtle yet very good answer. Once you hear it, like any great answer, once you hear it, you're like, well, okay, of course. That makes perfect sense to me. Can I go back to something you asked me a minute ago? Because it was part two of mistakes CEOs make or companies make. And one that I see often, it's not just CEOs, it's, it's leadership. I think not taking responsibility for when there's a problem, when something goes wrong. We've seen it many times in the press. And I think sometimes it's the legal advice that CEOs are given. We can't put the liability on the company. And so humanity gets forgotten. Like being a good human, if something went wrong and someone got hurt, first and foremost, as humans, we need to apologize and take ownership and take responsibility that the mistake happens. And too often advice gets taken, I think, either too literally or it's for whatever reasons, when anyone in a position of leadership, we've seen it in politics, we've seen it in CEOs, we see it all around, tries to sort of shirk the responsibility for what goes wrong. I just think that's a huge mistake. When you're the person at the top or responsible for an organization, that's our job. Like, it doesn't matter whether we knew about it or not. Everything that happens on our watch is our responsibility. Full stop. Yeah, I agree. I think sometimes the lawyers just feel like that is the only lens through which this problem can be looked at. And yet it's not. And I found all throughout my career, if I just say, look, this is on me, I made a mistake, but how are we going to get out of this? Or what do we do now? Once you sort of take the dynamic of who's going to own this mistake, you can get on with the trying to remedy it. And people are okay with it. You say, you come and say you made a mistake. I think it clears the decks right away. Yes. And I sort of give people points for doing it. 
So I agree with that. And it sets an example for the rest of society, for our employees, for everyone to stand up and own our mistakes. That's human. We're all human. We will make mistakes. There's no question. Yeah. So as we're working on producing this segment, our producer found this quote that I loved and I want to read it. It is about capitalism. And it is unregulated free market capitalism is the underlying economic and political philosophy of Hinduism, because capitalism is the only economic and political system which acknowledges and guarantees freedom to individuals. So with that as sort of a background, I know that Core Power isn't an overly spiritual studio, but what is the delicate balance of yoga and giving your students a good workout and then also building this business of being in the yoga business? It is a balance. And I think that it kind of relates to what I was talking about earlier. Being a for-profit organization enables the good work we do to be sustainable. It enables scalability and sustainability. We have the ability to bring more yoga to more people. And to me, as part of the work we do is improving people's lives and doing good in the world. That's the balance. If we were not doing that, if we weren't doing good things as an organization, if we weren't improving our communities, if we weren't improving our employees and our students' lives, if we weren't evolving yoga, and let me talk about that for a minute, I see our responsibility and duty as the largest yoga company in the world is to make a difference in the world of yoga. So yoga in the Western world has a bad rap for being, you know, a white skinny woman's practice, right? And so Trevor Tice, the founder of Core Power Yoga, did have a vision of becoming the Starbucks of yoga. And that is about accessibility, availability, and approachability. And it's a lot of studios geographically, so people could get to a core power yoga uh, studio anywhere. It's creating a practice that is approachable and acceptable. So you mentioned incense. Yeah, he wanted to make it accessible and approachable by getting rid of the things that intimidated a lot of people. Beaded curtains and chanting and incense. And I have no problem with any of those things, but to make something accessible to the masses and approachable to the masses, you have to make it easy and demystify it. And he did that in the way he created Core Power Yoga. And the balance is that in everything we do, it's a very physical practice. So people really appreciate that. It's set to music, so it's fun. But the breath to movement coordination is critical. It's a core part of what we do. We teach people to breathe and to coordinate their breath to movement. And that's where the mindfulness comes in. And that's where being able to breathe through the stressful moments on the mat, being able to breathe through when our jaw is clenched and we learn to relax our jaw or relax our throat, relax your neck. Because when you're not on the mat, we do all those very same things. We tense up, we don't breathe, and we're not our best self in those moments of stress. Yoga on the mat, where we do the same thing with a, a stressful asana, a stressful pose, we learn to apply those same lessons off the mat. That breath to movement practice 
becomes everyday habit for us off the mat. And so we learn to breathe through the stresses of life. We learn to relax through those stressful moments. We learn to be mindful and pause and think and breathe before we react in stressful situations. So um, that is making people better people. That is helping society. That's helping people get along. It's bringing out our best self. So no matter what format our classes are, all of those classes are committed to helping people coordinate their breath to movement. That's where the transformation comes in. And so to me, the balance in this capitalism is we're improving people's lives. We're giving back. We do a lot of charitable work. We have a tremendous commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. We have a scholarship program to help bring more people of color into teaching yoga so that people see people who look like them, who are underrepresented populations, who may not think yoga is for me because of that reputation we talked about. Now they see a person who looks like them and say, well, maybe I am welcome here. And then our commitment to creating the feeling of belonging and community and connection for all people in our studios and as members or students with us. To me, what enables us to do all of that is capitalism. And now we're going to take a quick break. If you care about what happens to your money, you need to listen to SoFi Daily. Unlike other podcasts talking about finances, markets, and businesses, some spending more than 60 minutes to cover everything, SoFi cuts to the heart of the financial world in five minutes or less. In each episode, you'll hear about every financial piece of news you need to know, from previous market updates and future trends to things happening that day. It's a great way to track what's going on and how it could affect your money. So stay on top of your finances. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So we want to get to lightning round questions. So here we go. Now, you may know this best as would you rather. The only challenge is that you you can't think about these. You just have to say whatever comes to your mind at the moment. There's no right or wrong answer. You ready? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Optimist or pessimist? Optimist. Power or money? Power, because with power, you can affect change. Downward dog or half moon? Downward dog. Matcha or coffee? Matcha. Fiction or nonfiction? Nonfiction. Drive or be driven? Be driven. Yoga sculpt or C2? C2. Keto or vegan? Vegan. Would you rather laugh uncontrollably or be moved? Be moved. Last question. It's a two-parter. What's the best investment you've ever made of any sort? And what's the worst investment you've ever made? The best one was an easy answer. It was therapy. (laughs) And the worst investment I've ever made. Oh, God, that's a tough one. Oh, yes. A designer leather Palm Pilot cover. (laughs) That's a fantastic answer. Thank you so much for joining me today on How She Does It. Thank you so much to Nikki Leandakis for sharing the highs and lows of a yoga-driven life. 
When you have a moment, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to updates from the Her Money community at hermoney.com slash subscribe. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is from Video Helper and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Have a great week and I look forward to seeing you here with us again. Onward.